got a great song to play next. Hello. Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. We're on there. Can I swear? Welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm Foxy, done breakfast shows across the UK, more recently did some work for the BBC. Pat Sharp's my guest on this episode, and do I even need to do an intro for this one? Maybe not. All I'll say is we find out how his first ever professional radio gig was daytime on Radio 1, and the real story of the Parky red card incident. Let's Crunch and Roll. Oh yeah. Pat, how are you? Very well, sir, very well. Long time no hear, see... I know it has been uh, many years. Do you know my 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 fond memory of meeting you at uh, Free? I got overly excited that you were coming in, <laughs> and um, the one thing I'll never forget is you brought your whole range of production with you. Like we we just <laughs> we just scrapped all the jingles and we used yours. It was amazing. Yeah, that's all. I always bring it with me. I mean, it's like I just keep them in my pocket. If anyone says you've got a jingle, I go, yeah, look, have, have a look in it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Pat. Well, let's go right back to the start because we'll, we'll get on to uh, when we met later on. But um, I, where are you from originally? Originally from London, and I was born, I believe, according to my 93-year-old mum, who's still going strong, in the London Clinic, which sounds very posh and sort of where everybody was obviously born back in the days. I'm 61 now, so uh, yes, I was born very, very posh in the London Clinic. I'm not sure if it's still there or not. There's probably a plaque of some kind, uh, not for me, but just for the building. Uh, And um, yeah, then I've stayed in North London from there on in, in Stanmore in Middlesex, and always been a around that area from Stanmore to Edgware to sort of Hertfordshire so North London do you know what when we were doing some research Pat I I, I could not believe that you're 61 because you look amazing can I just say that well you're very kind and you look delicious too <laughs> <laughs> You're a great liar. All right, so so where did the? Because am I right in thinking that you I mean, you had a real passion at a very young age that you wanted to be a DJ. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes, this is my thing. At school, I would you know tell everybody um, you know who was going to be on Capital that night, at what time they'd be on, and what time they'd be playing a certain jingle, and they would look at me as if to say like, "Why do you know this stuff? And what does it mean to anybody?" But to me, it meant everything. So I always wanted to be uh, a radio presenter, and I would go and stand outside Capital Radio, being the local station for me, and and you know wait for for Kenny Everett to come down the stairs and and, and get his autograph. So yeah, I was a huge fan and ended up working with Kenny and he became my friend So and, and all the other guys. So I, I sort of, you know, I mean, even yesterday I'm having a chat with Tony Blackburn, who's not very well at the moment, as you probably know, and uh, I, w- I was chatting with Tony, you know, while he was while he was in hospital. And, you know, I chat with Tony and I chat with, with Kid Jensen and uh, I, I knew all the guys who have who have passed um, who are as legendary as they are. So I kind of came from a really good time where I looked up to all these really well-known DJs who were not only on the radio but also on TV. And I aspired to be like them and ended up becoming... Um, contemporaries with them and, and you know working with them and becoming their pals so it's it's been fantastic whereas I think these days perhaps a, a young upcoming person who wants to be on the radio perhaps doesn't have those kind of people to look up to because they don't seem to be in the, in the same sort of ilk these days they're just a lot of radio presenters I hear uh, just call themselves by their first name on the air hey it's John with you and I'm going right okay John 
Is it true that you, because a lot of people when, for example, the chart was on, they would record and, and, and hit pause when the DJ started talking. But what <laughs> I you know did, where you're going with this. <laughs> is it true that you, you hit pause when the song was on, but you recorded the DJs? Yes, and I'm not the only person. Check in with Stephanie Hurst and other such people who also did that. I'm not just the only weirdo. And yeah, I wanted to tape the DJs and what they did and the jingles. And I've got the most fantastic um, uh, thing I could send you. I've got about four hours worth on an MP3 of a three-week trip to California that I made with friends of mine. We wanted to go skateboarding, so we went there in 1980. And I took with me my cassette radio and I took with me a bunch of cassettes that obviously had recordings of Capital Radio on them because I didn't want to go all the way to L.A. and not be able to hear Capital for three weeks. So I thought, well, I better take it with me so I can just put it on and obviously it'll be fantastic and I won't need any radio out there. Well, as soon as I landed, I went, whoa, and started to tape over everything <laughs> and and then bought a 100 more cassettes and went home with this new, unique sound in my ears of these guys bathed in echo on uh, on Kiss and, and stuff and then... The same in New York when I went there. So really, that was my sort of my buzzy time where I, I took what I loved about London radio and um, and joined the American radio sort of sound that I got there and uh, started recording things wherever I could to not purloin everything, but certainly get ideas from. Yeah, and I think everybody gets ideas. I've had loads of messages from people saying, I got into radio because of you and I loved what you did and I loved the way you did, you know, your radio shows and how you presented them. I had so much more freedom back in the day doing radio um, than young people going into it today have. So I was very lucky. So what was the plan at a young age to be a DJ? So how did you, because is it true that you went to Norway? So did you, was your professional career, did that start in Norway? No, no, that came afterwards. Um, I started my radio career by sending off demo tapes to radio stations, um, as indeed, no doubt you did, and uh, various other people listening will have done or will be doing, and didn't get any luck. I had no joy, uh, nice letters back saying thanks very much. You see people put these things up on Facebook these days. Here's my... Uh, uh, letter of being declined at radio somewhere um, and I didn't get any luck and I thought well even if I do get any luck what will I do I can't afford to go and live in that town for you know town FM so what will I what will I do so I was doing mobile discos and I found um, a, a guy who who via um, somebody I knew I think she was his secretary uh, he's quite a well-known guy actually certainly has been over the years He's married to Jane, whose name or surname I don't remember. She is, or was married, certainly, I don't know, I'm not sure, to Gary Farrow, and he's quite a big name. So he was the big boss at Sony, one of the big guys, was a record plugger when I first met him and went on his best mates with Elton John and worked with Elton over the years and indeed uh, was really good pals with George Michael and very responsible for a lot of things in his career. Anyway, Gary was a mere record plugger and uh, his secretary, who I knew, who was the daughter of somebody who I once met on a bus, put me in touch with him, and he said, I can help you get your demo tape out there and give it to the right people and blah, blah, blah. And in the end, he didn't get any luck with it, so he passed it to a manager. And that manager became my agent, and he took me on. And within four or five months of this guy being my agent, I covered Steve Wright in the afternoon on Radio 1 with no experience. <laughs> 
as you do, as everybody does. Surely everybody does that, don't they? Pat, you realise that there's nobody that's been on Crunch and Roll, but that's how it started. I mean, that is, when you say that, does that just, I mean, I know you went on to big things, but does that not sound ridiculous to you? It does, totally, yeah. And to be honest with you, I remember going into into Michael's office, this was my manager, and he said to me, I've got some really good news. Come up to London, he goes, and uh, you know, jump on the train and come up and see me. I've got some good news for you. And I walked in, and he said to me, you are going to be on the Radio 1 afternoon show next week. And I went, oh, that's not really for me. I said, I prefer Capital. Don't really listen to Radio 1. Um, could you not change it over to the other station? And he went, what? Uh, so I went, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> can, you, can you remember th- how you felt when you when you were covering Steve Wright's show? Well, you see, I've gone from being blasé about saying, oh, I don't want to be on that station, to being really, really, really nervous and obviously thinking, hang on, this is really quite a big deal. I mean, I may not listen to the station, but at the end of the day, you know, um, I'm being... Uh, in sandwich between Dave Lee Travis and Peter Powell and you know Simon Bates is on before that and I think uh, um, the reason why I got not the reason why I got this deputy work that week was because Steve Wright was doing breakfast that week as Mike Reed was on holiday so it was uh, you know all the sort of famous guys the legends and I was I was on the air and, and DLT was on before me saying well coming up at two o'clock Pat Sharp you know I, I would say good luck to him but might not be him might be a woman so there you go and he sort of led into it and I hit the button and and pressed a button and then spoke and went hello it's me I think I was like 20 uh and I I didn't really have a DJ voice yet and I still haven't so um it was it was a time where I I basically thought to myself do you know what just give it your best shot and I think by half past three when I reached around to play the news jingle in a studio that they shared with Radio 2 for some of the FM broadcasts, as you know, uh, at the time, I put in a jingle that went, Radio 2 News. And I thought, wow, that's good. I've gone from Radio 1 to Radio 2 in an hour and a half. This is great. I'm really moving up the ladder. Radio 4, here we come. (laughs) So did you enjoy that show, that first show? I did enjoy it, yes. And I don't think I made too many errors, but listening back, and it is available on SoundCloud, but I don't want anyone to check that out. Um, you would be absolutely shocked as to how this person could ever have had a job anywhere, let alone on Radio 1, because I was not great. <laughs> I thought I was brilliant, but I really wasn't. Were you Were you confident? I was confident enough to know that having done two or three practice sessions beforehand, that I knew which buttons to press. And I was always fairly confident as an operator that I wouldn't have to go in and worry what I was doing with the equipment. And I was on a desk where, I'm not sure if you know this, but those old BBC desks back in the early 80s, the faders went the other way. So instead of pushing a fader up, as you would do these days and have done for many years, the fader would start at the up point and it would be slightly curved and you would pull it back towards you to be uh, to make it go. Well, to make here here's some sounds <laughs> or put your microphone on. Uh, so it was all the other way, which is really odd when I think about that now. So it started at the top and to turn anything on, you had to bring it towards you. So, But I, you know, I could handle that because that was the only desk I'd ever used. I'd never even been on hospital radio. So might as well start, might as well start with some faders that go the wrong way at Radio 1. Why not? <laughs> so, so what happens there? So you do a sterling job covering the legend Steve Wrights and then do you get offered weekends? Can you edit out the word sterling from that? Thank you. <laughs> I did. 
I did a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, you, you say you don't want people to go to SoundCloud, but that's the first thing I'm going to do as soon as we finish this. So, you yeah, know, the so, yeah. so what, what happened next then, Pat? Basically, it didn't happen like you say. I was told, thanks very much. Uh, glad you've had a nice week. And you can shoot home now and you don't have a job. So I went from being on Radio 1 one week to not being on Radio Anything the next week and just went home and I didn't have a job. Um, I'd been doing mobile discos and uh, been a motorcycle career and taken my records in the boot of my Cortina to Germany and worked as a DJ in a club, but I didn't have an actual job at that time, I don't think. So I just went back to thinking, well, that was a fun week. This week's not going to be so so good. Um, and then I got snapped up by Tony Prince, who got on the phone to Mason and said, we'll have him. Bring him out to Luxembourg. So I went to Radio Luxembourg the f- not the following month. I must have got in the November. So I think uh, after doing Steve Wright for a week in September 1982, I thought I'd better have a month off. So I didn't do anything in October. And, uh, and I went to Luxembourg in November and worked there for two weeks. And during that two-week stint of being in Luxembourg and really sort of crafting my skill by being on every night at uh, something ridiculous o'clock. Who knows what time I was on, but I was on late. Um, I think one night, I think I just carried on for the hell of it. I think I was meant to stop at 12 or something, and I just kept going because I thought, well, doesn't really matter, does it? It's not going to turn itself off, is it? I'll just keep going. And I started talking to my mate and just gave him a few mentions and playing some records. I think that's what happened. Uh, but don't quote me on that. It won't be on SoundCloud. But... Um, I I ended up getting offered, while I was there during my two weeks, my own show back on Radio 1, where I was to join as one of the three new DJs on three new shows. First time they'd had three new DJs in a long time together. It's like three subs coming on at once. And um, it was myself and Gary Davis and uh, the lovely late Janice Long. Do you realise how ridiculous this all is, Pat? I mean, this is all moving very quickly. A lot of people, I mean, the, the ultimate aim is to get onto Radio 1. You, you do that by chance and cover Steve Wright. Then you do a couple of weeks on Luxembourg and then you're back again. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, obviously, as you say, by doing what I've been doing, technically I've started at the top and just worked my way down to this podcast. And here I am. <laughs> 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 so, so you, you go back to Radio One. I mean, just I mean, the, the, again, the, the lineup was 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 um, incredible, wasn't it? You were working with some true pros. Yeah, yeah, I was working with, as as you say, absolute legends who I had grown up with, and who basically I was in awe of. I mean, I can remember going to the 1,000th edition of Top of the Pops, because obviously I went on to host Top of the Pops because I was a Radio 1 DJ, and we all got put in one dressing room, so it wasn't like it would be today. Every single Radio 1 DJ, everyone, was put in one dressing room with all those egos, and I stood there in the corner like the shy little uh, young substitute goalkeeper who didn't know if he was going to get a match or not, just looking around thinking, well, I can either go up to Simon Bates and say... Um, you know, uh, yeah, well, with this link, I want to make sure that I get, you know, get my words in. And uh, when we're standing next to Spandau Ballet, who are number one, and there's the birthday cake, because True is number one, make sure I'm, you know, in the shot. Or I can just say to him, hi, Simon, can I get your autograph? <laughs> so so I probably went for the latter. Uh, but, you know, and it, it's so funny, because, you know, Simon emailed me the other day about something, and, you know, it's like he, he knows me, likes me, and cares about me as a person. And I'm going, wow. You know, it, this is amazing all these years on. And I speak to Tony and, and Kid and all these people. And I worked with Roger Scott and Kenny Everett and, and, and you know, everybody, all these legends. Um, 
So I suppose in a way, yeah, for me, it was just a really odd situation that I shouldn't really have been there. I was I was uh, really sort of looking through the hole in the wall and perhaps shouldn't have been there, but, uh, you know. I, could we talk about Kenny? Because obviously everybody who has anything to do with UK radio has a huge admiration for the legend that is Kenny Everett. I mean, what was he like yeah. to, to be around? What was he like to, 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 to witness, to work? You know, what was it? Was he just incredible? Yeah, he he really was, and he made me some jingles, and I used to go and watch him, and he would let me uh, let me watch him editing stuff with quarter inch and putting a bit of quarter inch tape over his shoulder, and then putting it back on and tying it on, and it would go backwards because he put it on the wrong way, and he would go, "Oh, that sounds marvelous. We'll keep it." And he he was just just a, an absolute, you know. I mean, because I would sit every Saturday. Uh, as a kid and try and phone in and win his contests, you know, for his speedy CD or whatever he was doing, it wouldn't have been the CD, it would have been a record then, and various other things that he would do. And, of course, I never got through. And I ended up covering that show when I went to Capital and they said, yeah, can you sit in for Kenny this weekend? And I went, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I could sit in for Kenny, yes, of course. He goes, yes, he's not coming in. Um, and then, you know, later on, uh, just before he passed away, um, I can remember being in the FM studio, and there was only one door between the FM studio and the uh, Capital Gold studio. It was literally an airlock, and he would be on the same time as me on mid-mornings. And he used to come in all the time and go, hello. I went, oh, hi, Kenny, how you doing? Like that, you know, and I wasn't so much in awe of him by then because obviously I got to know him, and he was just a nice guy. He was quite shy and retiring compared to how you, you heard him on the air. Um, a real introvert to, compared to his extrovert, uh, you know, broadcast skills. And he, and he would come in into my studio and he'd go, hello. And i go, hi, Kenny. Hi, how are you getting on? Are you a good show? And he would go, no, it's horrible. I'm playing Freddy and the Dreamers all day. Help! And I would say, oh, it can't be that bad. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're great. I don't know many of their songs. But, yeah, anyway, because I was like 25 or whatever. And he would say, he goes, are you playing anything new? I went, yeah, I've got this new band. They're called Ace of Bass. Have a listen to this. And I put on, like, the sign. And he went, he goes, this is amazing. Can you get me a copy? <laughs> so... You know, being, a, being around these people and having those stories to be able to recount to you and having them in my memory is just amazing. Because I think if you are a young guy and you turn up, perhaps even, I suppose if you turn up at Radio 1 these days and you're a young DJ, like some of the new people they've got on, who's, I'm not too sure their names, but I heard one the other day. I had to look on the website to see who she was. Anyway, um, you know, she's probably going to arrive at Radio 1 and think, wow, you know, that's Greg James. And, yeah, she's grown up with him. So, yeah, it probably is relevant. But to me, it just feels that these guys were just a little a little more special. They were kind of rock stars of their time. You know, they were, they, they would command, you know, you, do, you did a Radio 1 roadshow and there wouldn't be, you know, 5,000 people. There wouldn't be 10, you know. I think Blackburn told me that he once did a Radio 1 roadshow on Blackpool Beach and there was a quarter of a million people there. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought the roadshow up because I wanted to ask about your, your experiences of being part of the roadshows. Don't, because I never did it. Oh, did you not? No, I wish I had done. I, I was only at Radio 1 for a year. I did the Steve Wright show and then I came back in the December and then I got three three-month contracts. And I think that was fair enough. They put me on because they wanted to see if I could uh, gain experience and I couldn't gain enough experience of life in general by being on once a week on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. handing over to Tony Blackburn uh, because it just wasn't enough and I, and I didn't have enough 
things to say. I hadn't lived, so I didn't really know, you know, how to be a, a radio presenter. And I went away to a local station and was on five days a week and learned how to uh, to broadcast. So yeah, I'd never did the radio on roadshow. Would love to have done it, but I never got the chance to do it. I never had a radio one pen um, with my name on it. Um, I had a pen, but it was just a biro. Um, I never had an actual Radio 1 pen, like a Bruno Brooks pen. Uh, but I did get given a Radio 1 jacket. And now there's going to be gasps from your audience. I have mentioned this before on previous podcasts, but none as important as Crunch and Roll. So here we go. I threw away my Radio 1 jacket in the dustbin. No. Yeah. I wish I hadn't. I don't know why. I, think, I was on Capitol and it was just sitting in the garage under a pile of stuff. And I thought, oh, Radio 1. Oh, I don't need Radio 1. I'm on Capitol. It's great. And who knows Radio 1? Oh, I'll just throw it away. I threw it away. <laughs> my 275 and 285 embroidered into it and my name written in an autograph style on the front in case I forgot who I was. And I threw it away. Stephanie Hurst, I know I've mentioned her before in this, but she's a good pal of mine. Stephanie cannot believe that I threw it away. I don't think she, she even speaks to me anymore because of that I guarantee knowing Stephanie very well as well she's probably still searching for that jacket she'll <laughs> yes, be going through bins going through my bins <laughs> <laughs> obviously you mentioned Top of the Pops as well I mean can we can we talk about I mean I know this is all about the wireless but what was your, your experience like of, of Top of the Pops well the first time I ever went on Top of the Pops I got to go on with Janice and with Gary and we were introduced as the new Radio 1 DJs wearing our jackets amazing yep can you imagine that these days? You just get pelted with bananas, wouldn't you? <laughs> and I and I came on, and Peter Powell was hosting it, and he goes, uh, "Here's the uh, here's the last of our our new recruits, and uh, we we met Gary earlier and Janice, and this is Pat Pat Shaw. Welcome to Radio One. Uh, hi, Peter. Hi. Oh, sorry. Hi, Peter. Uh, uh, and I felt like saying, all I wanted to say was, can I get your autograph? Is this a good time? <laughs> but <laughs> but um, and he said to me, I think he just said, you know, hello and it's going to be great and you're welcome and what show are you doing or something. And then and he said, any good at football? And I went, yeah, yeah, not bad. He goes, uh, would you join the Radio 1 football team? And I think I said something like, if the transfer fee is right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think he gave me a blank look and go, right, well, uh, here's Queen. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think I, I could have wished that I'd done it again. I think it was live and, um, you know, it was fine, and I was just very nervous, a little bit stilted. And then I can remember doing Top of the Pops as a host and thinking to myself as I did the links, you know, I am not in this shot. This camera is miles away as it pushes through the crowd and bangs these poor teenagers in the head as it goes through them and kicks them out the way. I'm thinking, why am, why am I not in this shot? I better lean over to the left. This cameraman isn't very good. He hasn't got me in the shot. I'm nowhere near that camera. So most of my things are like stilted and I'm bent over like this to the left or the right or leaning forward in the hope that I'll be in the shot. Um, I didn't realise they were quite professional and knew what they were doing at the time, so I was trying to help them with their camera angles. It was all a bit wacky, top of the box, wasn't it, with the way the camera zoomed through. And they, they used to warn the crowd. They said, if a camera's coming, keep your eyes open because it will knock into you. Um, and, um, yeah, so the experience of it was like, yeah, sure, you watch the countdown, you, you watch the well, the countdown from the floor manager as to how many seconds you had left, and you rehearsed it, you had your links, you went through them, and then you were meant to do exactly what you'd done in the rehearsal, and by the time the link came, you sort of looked wide-eyed at the camera and thought, oh, my goodness, I'm on the telly live, I'd better say something. By the time you thought that, most of your time had gone, and you just <laughs> went... Here's the band. <laughs> well, there's um, stuff testing, on the commission. Testing, testing, testing. The dealer does a lot of work. Cold, in order to well, I'm all for being open-minded, but I'm not all for discussing this live on air. Thank you. We are profoundly uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Now, let's move on to Capital, because... Um, 
you know, this uh, when you went to Capital in 1987, um, that was when capital was an absolute beast, wasn't it? Well, it, it, it was a beast in early 1987 and middle to late 1987 from the fact that it wasn't doing very well. Uh, and it became a beast after that, after I joined, <laughs> but not just, <laughs> n- not just because of me. That was the big changeover. September 1987 is where Richard Park had arrived, or certainly maybe a month or two before, and he bought in all the new guys and girls. So he bought in Jackie Brambles. He bought in uh, um, Foxy and Pete Tong and put me together with um, with Mick and stuff like that. So there was a real, um, you know, a, a number of other DJs started, you know, broadcasting on the station and he got rid of what he, he would call, uh, I suppose, uh, the old guard and put a lot of the new ones in and started to change it. He, he made a new jingle package that they bought in America and it became sort of hot rocking and stuff, as, as he called it. And uh, that was the big change. But it took a while. I mean, obviously, the main thing that he, that he started to do was he put Chris Tarrant on breakfast and he moved him to breakfast and uh, that even that was not successful at the start there were times I think during the start of Chris Tarrant's breakfast regime that it, it was touch and go as to whether he would even stay on it wow see n- nobody's ever talked about that yeah yeah well especially Chris <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> do you know uh, you, you mentioned Richard Park and there's a lot of our guests who've mentioned Parky on Crunch and Roll and um, a previous guest do we say who he is yeah yeah, Jonathan Miles, who I think you know. Yeah, I know Jonathan, yeah. Um, he said that we need to ask you about um, the red card situation, <laughs> which, I mean, Parky was infamous for, for for giving you a yellow and a red card. So yellow was like, there's your warning, red card, you're off. Did you go for a meal with Parky? Yeah, I did. Uh, this whole red card story is actually fable from a point of view that myself... Uh, and Richard cannot remember if this was done or not. He gets asked this everywhere. I think he's really bored of it, and uh, I can't remember either. But because everybody talks about it, I think, well, maybe it did happen. All I know is is that the story, whether it's true or not, was the fact that on the last day of my last show, and I'd been there for nearly 10 years, I suppose, um, we went out for lunch on Christmas Eve at the end of 1996. So, yeah, nine years. Uh, And I, at the end of the meal, he went to pay for the meal, and he took a his card out and then you think he saw his red in there he had a red card in his wallet allegedly and he would have taken it out there and said pat man you're off show me the red you're on the bench and uh i think it was just funny because i already knew i was leaving three months before and i worked out my notice so um i didn't sort of disappear the same day at all i had a very amicable relationship with richard and was really grateful that he'd employed me for so long and given me the chance to be on my dream station and do everything i did there so it's fantastic so i don't know whether it's true or not but if it is uh it jolly well if it isn't it jolly well should be because i i was off and that I deserved a red, so, uh, you know, get off the pitch. I mean, how was Capital for you? Did you have the best 10 years of your career? Yeah, amazing, amazing, just amazing, so much fun, and it was, and it became so big. It really was, as you say, it did become a beast. It just wasn't at the start when I joined. It was when I joined, and they brought in and put Tarrant on breakfast and did all these things. This was to make it into what it became, and Richard did create this uh, radio station that really was the sound of London, and then, of course, we got to make the Pat and Mick records and did all that stuff with Stock Aiken Waterman, and it blew it way out of proportion, probably made it more... I suppose, in a way, more known and more renowned than perhaps it even is today as a national brand. It was just huge, absolutely huge in London alone. Five million listeners, you know? I mean, is it true that you performed on stage with Mick? You, you performed for... Because we know Pete Waterman. And uh, didn't he hold... A, was it an arena tour or something? Yeah, and you, yeah, yeah. You were part of that, weren't you? Yeah, there was a Stock Aiken Waterman, Stock Aiken Waterman night at the O2. 
And we, this is a really funny night, John, because we actually went onto this show and I thought we were, um, I thought we were hosting it and we did a, we did a bit of hosting, I think. And then literally, I think just before we went, we went out the back while one of the other acts was on, like a Rick Astley or a Kylie or whatever, uh, or whoever, should I say. And we went out the back and then they said to me, oh, right, here's your mic. And I go, well, I've already got a mic. They go, no, this is your mic for obviously for, for singing your song. And I went... I'm not singing a song. And they go, yeah, you are. You're one of the acts, aren't you? You made, you had four or five hit records. You're more than some of the other acts. So, you know, you're, you're singing your song. And I went, well, I'm, I don't even know all the words. So I and don't rely on me. And I can't sing. They, they, they used a lot of magic buttons with their, uh, you know, their sound uh, when we made the records. And I'm not really going to sing at the O2 on the stage. No, it's not for me. And they went, well, you are. And you're on in about four minutes. So get ready. And I went, well, you better turn this mic off. I'll just mime. Um, and, uh, and of course, we went out there and did our best. And it was a medley of our heads. And um, it was quite bizarre. I can't dance. I can't sing. And I hate, I wouldn't hate being a pop star. It was quite funny. Going on top of the pops was quite funny, having hosted it and then going on it and watching, you know, Gary Davis then having to introduce me as an act singing our hit record that was in the top 10. So, you know, wow. All, all fun times and all good laugh. But when that's all happening, John, you don't even realize it. It's just, you know, fly by the seat of your pants time. And you think to yourself, wow, that would be great. I'd love to have a crack at that now. I'm much more confident and much more, you know, I'm a much better singer now. <laughs> but in, <laughs> in general, you just think, I could have a crack at any of that stuff now. Like you like you know more about, you know, your mortgage or your pension or whatever as you get older because you just you just know more. And, you know, you you didn't know then. And, and being let go at Capital and having the conversation with Richard and sort of, you know, tears welling up in your eyes. I think if anyone, you know, chops you out of something now, you go, brilliant, all right, well, I've had a good time. Thanks very much. Have a good day. I'll go for a take dog for a walk you just get on with it don't you because you know you but at that time when you're younger and it oh, it means everything to you and it's the be all and end all you're just more naive to to everything and you just sort of go well okay that's the way it is uh but it's difficult to deal with so it's difficult to think that you were thrown into these situations to think that you know i got to go on noel's house party almost every week and you know stand with him pushing the doorbell or go on surprise surprise with Scylla and go on celebrity squares with Bob Monkhouse and do you bet with Bruce Forsyth or you know Matthew Kelly and did the opening of Euro Disney and all these things and they just don't seem to have those kind of shows these days that are just so water cooler moments for everybody whereas you know now people say well yeah I'm watching Succession but you know I'm watching it over a period of six weeks and I can watch it when I want and it's just I was so lucky to be a part of that time is what I'm saying basically where everybody kind of knew you or, or wanted a little piece of, of what you were doing or heard you and you know you could talk about your kids and your wife and your family and stuff on the air and people would then come up to you in a shop and say like oh your son was so funny this morning when you had him on doing whatever you know it's just and because there weren't so many radio stations there wasn't so many TV channels. There wasn't so many outlets. And, and then I did Funhouse for 10 years, which everybody still remembers 23 years after it finished. You know, it's just... Crazy. Yeah, it enjoy, is. Did you enjoy being famous? I don't know if, it, if I ever enjoyed it. What I did enjoy was when people were kind to you and people said hello to you and said they liked what you did. And then when people do that today, 
uh, it's even uh, it's even nicer, yeah, and even more pleasant when someone says to you, you know, you might be packing your bags in Tesco's or something, and someone say, oh, I really like what you do. You know, I've, I've, I've followed you for many years, love what you've done, always loved you. You're just a nice guy, and thanks for doing what you do or something. It's just like really, really amazing to get that kind of sort of... Uh, well, I suppose love, and uh, but I don't think the famous part of it is um, is is an important part of it. No, and I've never considered myself to be, uh, as Alan would say, famous. I want to be in. I want to be infamous. Any funny stories? Any funny memories from your time at Capital? Absolutely, John. I can remember. Uh, youngster phoning up to wish Matt Goss a happy birthday on my radio show and I didn't know it was his birthday Bross were at the height of their fame and all the Brossettes were really chuffed because me and Mick had been the first people to play their records and we had broken Bross and we were responsible for Bross and Bross were capital and she wished Matt happy birthday and I said that's great I said well happy birthday to Matt I said when's Luke's birthday and there was a bit of a gap because obviously they are twins and uh, and I just didn't really think of that at the time. We often had kids queuing round the block to meet Vanilla Ice or Tiffany or New Kids on the Block. I actually went on tour with New Kids on the Block and um, took a prize winner along with Sony Music. We went to take this uh, prize winner to Canada and got to introduce New Kids on the Block at the Sky Dome in Toronto with the roof off and everything, so that was quite cool. And, um, you know, those sort of jobs, I don't know if they come about these days for, for DJs, but for no. me it was quite a cool gig, you know? Do you know, obviously because you were on Capital, you, you were a big name as well, Pat, but uh, one of our previous um, guests on Crunch and Roll was, uh, was a programme director, still is, uh, Simon Monk is his name, and he was talking about the time. Yeah, at C- Simon. Yeah, his time uh, giving away cat litter on CFM. So your, your career was, was, I mean, you obviously spent a lot of time with some big name celebs. Absolutely, I mean... For example, standing in line at the Help a London Child lunch at the Cafe Royal when we're raising money for needy kids in London and you get presented to Princess Diana who used to sit in the office at Capital and come in with her minder and drink coffee out of a polystyrene cup because she was a big fan of Graham Dean's breakfast show and used to come in and just sort of hang around. Let's move on to Heart. So you go to Heart 106.2 in 1997. So how did that... Um, who's in charge of Heart at that point? Well, you forgot. You've missed a whole radio station out, John. Oh, my Lord. See, this is where it all goes tits for me. Pat. Which one have I missed out? <laughs> you have missed out a AM station called 963 Liberty. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, don't, don't worry. Even the owners missed it as well. <laughs> Sorry, where, where, where was that then, Pat? <laughs> uh, God, I'm not sure. It was in London. It was in London. It was just after I left Capital, and they came to me and said, we'd like to pay you a vast sum of money for doing our breakfast show, which I did for about three months. And then I think the station said, oh, we, we can't afford this. And then my manager said, well, you've signed him for a year, so you might as well just not have him do the breakfast show, but just keep paying him, which they did, um, I think. Certainly it was some a situation where... Uh, I certainly got paid, I think, a lot more money than I was getting at Capital with a lot less people listening. So it was one of those opportunist moments. Well, there we go. Okay, so the, let's get on to heart. <laughs> yeah, then I went. Then I went back. Then I went back to a real job. There you go, with with nice low fees. <laughs> <laughs> so who's in charge of heart at this time? Chrysalis. Right. Okay. And yeah. now, how did that all happen? Phone call. Coming. Uh, well, my 
uh, or the old producer who used to work at Capital when I was there, who used to produce Chris Tarrant in the very early days, was Keith Pringle. Wow. And Keith was, yeah, Keith was running Heart with Gordon, uh, his partner, and um, basically we, um, you know, contacted them, I think, and got a job on there, yeah, via my agents again, and I, I kind of did a bit of groundwork myself on it, and they, they, they thought it would be a good idea to get me back on the air in London. So I think less than a year after I'd left Capital, I was back on the air on this station, um, yeah. Do you know, a lot of people have talked about Keith Pringle. What was he like to work for? Oh, lovely chap, always fun, always, you know, bright and jolly and, uh, yeah, really sort of keen to make you sound good and was very uh, very good at sort of listening and telling you to, um, you know, make sure you didn't just talk dry. This was quite a, a, a fast-moving station for a new station, so they wanted you to talk over ramps and stuff and uh, he would deliver that kind of thing. And then I went on to work for, obviously, when that moved on and Keith, I think, had, had left, uh, Francis Curry became the boss, who was a great boss, and... Um, he was brilliant because he convinced me and changed me into being a presenter rather than just a DJ. I think I went on when they were giving away a holiday and I said, like, you know, it's uh, so hard today. You can uh, win this uh, trip and it will be a destination vacation station. And he went, yeah, we won't. Just say you're going to win a holiday. <laughs> uh, and I went, but I've always done that. He goes, I know. Don't do it. Be a presenter. Talk to people, not at them. So he really helped me change from being a, a DJ, and it was fine to be a DJ on Capital. And I'm sure I, I was still conversational on Capital, but in general I was a DJ. I was bathed in echo, and I was being the equivalent of Z100 in London and uh, doing what I'd learned from all my American radio station days of listening. And um, he changed me into being more of a presenter and said, you know, talk to people, not at them, and uh, become a presenter. And that's hopefully where I've carried on uh, doing so today and grown up a little bit from that so yeah he was great and heart was great for me and i was there for seven or eight years which was great i was going to ask if you enjoyed hearts yeah yeah very much so yeah it was really good station to be on and, and i took my original mid-morning show on capital which i left uh, as number one often one does leave a radio station at the top rather than uh, not doing well because they take you off because they want to make sure that the radio station i think can continue to be number one, and do really well. So they, they look forward, don't they? That's why a footballer might leave a club when he's doing really well to go to another club, but because they need to bring somebody younger up and get them to that stage. So for whatever reason it was, I left Capital's mid-morning show and was taken off um, as the number one uh, listenership, you know, with uh, ratings at that time on a on a weekday, 10 to 1. And then I went to do the same show on Heart, and within a year... I'd taken that show to number one, and it was beating Capital. Amazing. So I, w I was number one on two different stations um, in London, um, very close to each other. And, and yeah, I'm not saying it was just down to me. It was down to the fact that Hart produced a format that people obviously liked and still like to this day, don't they? And then you did some work at Hart's, um, or Hart in Cambridgeshire, which uh, I've got fond memories of. I, I was, I think I was doing the breakfast show on 210 FM at the time that you went there, and it was, I was like, wow, Pat Sharps, you know, going to Hart in Cambridgeshire. And then also my dad lives in Cambridge as well, so when I used to visit my dad, I used to listen to you on there as well. Did you, were, were you doing the show from Cambridge? Yep, yep. It wasn't Hart when I joined it. I decided to go and do some more radio. This was... Um 
Yeah, it would have been, yeah, soon after I left Heart, I suppose, I guess. I mean, I'd for a couple of years, I don't know if I did radio, I think I was just concentrating on my gigs. I was playing so many universities. I was playing out in Ibiza and Mallorca every week and just doing loads of DJ sets everywhere. So I almost didn't have time for radio. But I missed it. So I took the job at Q103, Q103. which was Cambridge Station. Yeah. Yes. And then that became a heart station like many others did. And um, I stayed there for a while, but I did do it from their studios in Histon, yeah, working with James Keane and uh, James, um, who now runs the the Tyndall stations in the Channel Islands. Uh, lovely chap. And, um, yeah, he gave me a nice job there. And I, and I worked um, uh, doing doing Drive there, which was, uh, yeah, really nice. It was nice to be on in there. Did lots of gigs around the Cambridge area because of that. And, um, you know, used to drive in each day. It was quite fun to be able to drive somewhere rather than just have to go 10 or 12 miles. I'd always been so near everywhere. Always worked in London and never really had to go very far for my shows. So that was that was a, a, a nice period of, of my life for radio. I really enjoyed it. And um, I think the station did pretty well, actually. Yeah, it was, it was a good station to work for. And then Century. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this with confidence. We keep missing out stations left, right and centre. Pat, I forgot that. Yeah, you're it was, right. Was it Century next, was it? Yeah, I think I ended up doing something on Century and then Smooth and, um, yeah, I shouldn't jump the gun to Smooth, should I? I think it was Century. I don't know the order of these radio stations and why everybody wanted to give me a crack. Who knew? But I was doing an evening show. I ended up doing that because that was part of Capital Radio Group at the time, so I did it from Capital, uh, went back into to Leicester Square uh, in London and did it from there, which was always a bit difficult doing a station that wasn't on in the city where you were sitting. I found that a bit difficult. Um, and challenging, should I say. But nevertheless, it was uh, quite a big listenership up uh, in the northwest, I believe. And then, and then Smooth. I mean, you kind yeah. of jumped over it, but Smooth is, a, is a, a huge station as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I started on Smooth and it was on, uh, you know, in a lot of places and in London and the northwest. Quite often I would go to the northwest and do shows from there as opposed to doing them from London. Then I ended up doing my own, um, I think I started doing my own um, afternoon show, which I did from London. But a lot of the time I would have done shows previously from the northwest, go up to Salford or yeah I think it was there um, Salford Keys yeah and I would do it from there um, because that's where the main station was based which of course there is still a smooth there isn't there a communicor station with Jamie Griffiths but I was doing that with Steve Collins and um, I did the, started off with Steve Collins and John Simons who gave me a shot at doing the weekend breakfast shows and then moving on to the afternoon show which I did for a couple of years as well yeah at this point are you still enjoying radio because you know thinking back to that young lad who was just desperate to be a DJ, recording the the, the jocks, you know, in, in the states over here as well. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's an amazing career you've got. But have you still got the love for it at this point? Yeah, I absolutely do. I I. I have the love for it from the fact that I just think I should be on the radio each day. I should be going somewhere and doing something and, uh, you know, practicing my, my craft and my art and becoming more of a communicator each day, hopefully, and less of a DJ because I'm doing that more when I'm doing my DJ sets, which are live gigs, which have probably come on in leaps and bounds over the last five years more so than ever because um, of nostalgia being so popular. However... Um, my radio shows perhaps didn't leave such an impact, to be honest with you, coming home from them each day as they did when I was at, say, the top of my game, perhaps at Capital and Heart and stuff. You know, I didn't feel that I had... Only because there were so many more radio stations, you didn't get quite the same feedback from the amount of people who said, oh, I heard you this morning, heard you this morning. And I can remember, you know, doing a show on Capital and then going, um, I don't know, 
somewhere in London to do a voiceover and walking through Covent Garden or something and hearing Capital coming out of every single stall that was selling anything, you would just hear the same station. So you'd hear the same song everywhere. So it sounded like it was piped music, but it wasn't. It was just everybody had the same radio station on. Whereas now, that would be highly unlikely because given the choice and Spotify and everything else, you'd be lucky if you heard the same radio station twice in the same day. And the, look, there's some more stations, Breeze, Sam, South Coast, Eagle, I've got as a question mark. And then um, Greatest Hits, of course, which uh, you, mm-hmm. you, you worked at for, for many years as well. Yep. Um, do you know, there's a question I've always wanted to know. Do, do you prefer radio or TV? Well, I, that's a tricky one. I would say I prefer radio, and I've always said that, John. Yeah, I've always said I prefer radio because I think it's more personal, it's more one-to-one, and you do generally go inside a studio, shut the door, and get on with it yourself. Sometimes you have a producer who might be in there with you, somebody perhaps giving you a hand, but generally most radio presenters do their own thing, don't they? Whereas when you're doing a TV show, there's a lot of other people involved, and there's a lot of other uh, decisions being made as to the production of the actual uh, television show that you are part of. So I would say radio is, for me, more personal. And indeed, my original first love, yes. I didn't want to ever get into television. I never wanted to be the Funhouse presenter or do Top of the Pops. I wanted to be, you know, on the radio, and that led to all those things. So uh, the radio, for me, is is definitely more personal, yes. What would you say was your biggest achievement in your radio career? I would say playing the Radio 2 news jingle on Radio 1 on my first show. Yeah. That for me, that was a goodie, yeah. Um, (laughs) Apart from that, I suppose really just being still, you know, I suppose it's not even an achievement. It's just the fact that people have always wanted to have me on and I've always had nice feedback from being on and people go, I've grown up with you now and uh, I loved you when you did this and I like you when you do what you do now and uh, I love you on this podcast or, you know, and and, it, and it's true. You know, I did the um, Parenting Hell podcast with Rob and Josh and I've never had such feedback from a podcast until now, of course, with this one. So, but... It was just great to do these things, and, th- and those type of podcasts, and, and and your one, I'm sure, are in in a way they are radio, aren't they? They're going into people's ears, they're audio, and they're out there, and people can listen and uh, hear your voice and think, oh, do you know what? Like that guy, don't like that guy, whatever. But either way, you're out there doing it. So just being asked to be on stuff and do radio shows is is great fun, and always will be for me. Just really nice to be in a studio, open a mic, and play some tunes and hopefully make people smile so it's 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 all an achievement for me just being being uh, being on and doing stuff I realised that we um, we jumped over the, the the couple of shows that you did at Free Radio when I when I met you and um, yes yes there was uh, there was such excitement that Pat Sharp was walking into the building and uh, as I say I <laughs> you walked in you were cool you looked still twenty one years old and you brought your own production which we mentioned at the top which I just love that Pat I love the balls of you you're walking in I'm Pat Sharp and this is what I do. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that doesn't always work. Some people say, lovely. Well, you just wait over there and this is what we do and you can't <laughs> use your production. But that's fine. Uh, you know, I, I often bring my production because I think that it, it just makes me sound more like me. And if I have got all the hits, I might as well play them. And I can throw in a woo, woo, and everyone's, uh, you know. So 
no no harm uh, if somebody says you can't use your production. Um, I do a radio show um, in Norway uh, based on the days of me doing Sky Channel, which we haven't mentioned when I was a video jockey in Norway. Um, you touched on there earlier. That That's where you got the Norway thing from. I, I was um, a VJ on a channel uh, with Tony Blackburn and Gary Davis and, and Peter Powell and Kid Jensen and those type of guys, all from Radio 1 at the time back in 1982. And I did it for seven years and I was on in 30 million homes every single day playing pop music videos on the equivalent of MTV on Sky Channel Skytrax before it became the Sky TV that we know in the UK today. So, um, you know, to, and now I'm, I'm on uh, P8 Pop, which is P8 Pop, and uh, that uh, show I do on a Friday afternoon across Norway. It's really popular. It's all 80s stuff, uh, a bit of 90s thrown in, but mostly 80s. And I get to play um, and do it in English, not in, in Norwegian. Uh, some songs are in Norwegian, but generally they're mostly English international hits. And people still message me from that today saying wow I used to watch you on telly when I was you know 13, 14 as a kid down in the den with my brothers and it was brilliant and now I'm hearing you on the radio and I do loads of gigs I've just done just taken Snap and Katrina and the Waves to uh, to do um, gigs in Norway over the last couple of months so I still do stuff out there so I'm very lucky I play in Oman and Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Bahrain for all the expats and at snow bombing in Austria and um, you know various other places abroad as well. So I'm I'm really quite uh, quite blessed that all these years on I'm still getting a good crack at it. You know. So we've talked about your production quite a bit, Pat. I mean, what 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 are your favourite? I mean, are we talking stations here? Are we, are we your Radio One the production there because that was huge. Capital's production was incredible as well. Have you got any favourites? Oh, I've got lots of favourite jingles, and um, I, out of my own ones, I actually had my jingle, my All the Hits jingle, which is very popular with a lot of people, and that was remastered by my friend Stephanie Hurst recently, who I sent her the quarter-inch tape in the post, the original quarter-inch tape, and she's kept that, because I said you can keep the original, so she's very happy with that, and she remastered it and made it sound really, really fresh and new, and even though it's been around since... 1986, I think it is, certainly 86, 87, it's been around. It was made by a Norwegian band called Creation based on a song that they had out called In My Life, and they just changed the lyrics to wow, 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 in my life, to wow, 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 Pat's got all the hits and whatever. And uh, I just gave them the lyrics. They actually, there's an alternative version which the geeks would love to hear that I never played because they didn't know, being Norwegian, whether they should sing Pat Sharp's got all the hits or all the hits so they sang a version with the hits as well as the hits and uh, that is available as well but only via Stephanie because she's got the quarter inch tape there's a technical problem you heard something on there you shouldn't have done oh yeah now one question that I ask all my guests Pat is I, I, I would like to know who you would like to hear on Crunch and Roll okay so let me have a think um, I would like to hear on Crunch and Roll one of my favourite broadcasters who would be really good because he does his own podcast and he works in speech radio, so therefore he would be very, very good at talking and not messing up. And I think you'd enjoy having him on there, and that would be LBC's Nick Abbott. Okay, there we go. Thank you very much. Well, look, Pat, thank you so much for your time and being on Crunch and Roll. I, I, I really, I genuinely appreciate it. Well, thank you, John, and such a pleasure to uh, speak with you again. And as you know, I've brought my own production, so let's get the jingles on. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, have you done voiceover work? 
It's a stupid question. Let me put this on so I can read it. There you go. So, uh, where where would we have heard your your voice on voice voiceover work? Well, I've done a few over the years. <laughs> um, I've had a crack. I've done your Walker's Crisps and your. Um, oh, I read about that. Yeah, the Walker's Crisps one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've done a few voiceovers over the years. But uh, I could do this one if you're ready. Please do. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Pat Sharp. But don't hold that against me. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by the legendary John Fox and produced by Simon Borzowski. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we were so impressed by your Kenny Everett impression, Pat. Can we also get the outro in the style of Kenny Everett as well, please? This is, this is a crunch and roll first. You've been listening to Crunch and Roll. Subscribe on your favourite podcast. It's not working very well. I don't know why. It's just that he, I, don't, I can't imagine he would say those words because, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't. <laughs> Kenny's, Kenny's words are like, hello, are you playing anything modern? That, that's Kenny. Uh, but the, I can't go, subscribe. 